I just want to get right into his word. We just want to thank you, Jesus, just once more. Just thank you, Lord, for the word. You are the living word. You walked on the earth. And I thank you, Lord, that then it was penned down and preserved, Lord. And as we get around your word, I thank you, Jesus, that the same living Jesus who walked physically on the earth is in spirit in this room with us. And I thank you, Lord, for just as you ministered to them for ministry today, Lord, to our hearts, that our hard hearts would be broken up, Lord, like hard ground, and we'd be soft to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Well, I just want to go right into his word. Last week, um, I ended in Ephesians 6, and we've been talking. I had been preaching on Esther, and it was a season where we were just talking about how The Lord has welcomed us into his presence. We need to know that as Christians, that we have been welcomed. In fact, the word tells us to come boldly into his presence, to come before him, and that the Lord has his scepter extended towards us already. Uh, We have favor and we have grace with God through the blood of Jesus, through the purchasing price of Jesus on the cross. We have entrance literally into the presence of God, into the throne room of God, And uh, we cannot, uh, and uh, we should not, we cannot, we cannot take for granted what Jesus has done, and we can't waste our lives, the little tiny bit of precious time that we have on this earth, without realizing what happened on that cross, and the purchase, the price that was paid for us, and the fact that he left us here on the earth with a purpose. Everybody say, I am here for a purpose. Jesus resides inside you. He is still preaching. He is still ministering. He is still working on the earth through you. When you made a relationship with him, it is I in him, right? And he in me, right? Matthew chapter, uh, John chapter 15, right? The abiding, the together, the oneness of Christ. And so, Not only do we have that welcome, and not only are we called and supposed to be in His presence, supposed to live in that presence, but we are also called to then take that presence into this world and to fend for our people, to fend even for this nation. It's not by accident that you were born in this country. It's not by accident that you're in this state, right? Who even tried to say, who has said, I'm going to get out of this state, right? We have all kinds of phrases for it, and I'm not saying any of them from the microphone, except that it's a wonderful, beautiful valley, and that's it about this amazing state. But God has a plan and a purpose, even when you tried to get out of here. You don't even know how you're here and why you're here, but this is where God has you, and God is placed, he has placed us here, and he is doing something through you. There is a circle of people around every single one of you, a circle of people, a a sphere, right, of of influence, a world around each of you that only you can reach. It doesn't mean that the person can't hear if it's your world from me or someone else in this room, but you have a unique place in those people's lives. You have been put in that circle, in that group of people on purpose by God. Many people today have wasted their gifts, haven't they? Not even just forget the church for a minute. Let's just go into the world and just look at the amazing things that human beings can do when they set their minds to it. The human mind, just even with a rejection of God, it was so perfect and it was made so well by God that when a human mind is really applied and and even not just the human mind in the intellect, but even the human mind that says, I'm not going to let my my feelings and my pain and, and, and my suffering stop me from achieving a goal. God has put so much in us. He has crafted us with so much, and the world has wasted it on themselves and their own glory. 
The Bible says that one day we're all going to answer for everything we did, everything we said on this earth. And he warns us not to build on sand, that as the floods come, and they will come, they come for every single human being, eventually your end comes and your works will be tested by the flood and be tested with fire. And if it wasn't to bring glory to God, if it was any of your glory, if it was for any of your gain, they get washed away and get burned up. And the Bible says that some of us, it says that he'll try your works and you might be a believer, but you're going to enter heaven with nothing to show for it and with the smell of smoke on you. And we don't want to do that, do we? We don't want to do what the world's doing, just living their lives for themselves and be technically saved, but be wasting what God has put inside of us, do we? And so I just feel compelled to keep preaching on this. I didn't know I was going to go into it again, but that God has really given us every single thing we need, not just the human mind, but then through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, we have every spiritual gift we need. Do you know that? That just as the human being, when they really apply themselves and really push aside all the obstacles and they just keep overcoming and overcoming and overcoming, they're able to accomplish things that we're amazed at, right? Are you like, uh, are you like me? Are we all like the rest of us that we're, we get amazed by people that can just do incredible things? Right? There's literally YouTube channels devoted to people are awesome. Anybody ever watch that? And it's just crazy stuff that people can do by applying themselves and just pushing themselves to the brink and some of it's stupidity because it's dangerous. But the human, so just as the human being can, the Holy Spirit has anointed us. He has gifted us. He has given us everything we need for living a life that glorifies God. And if you think, that's amazing what a human being can do. Imagine if we let the Holy Spirit truly work in us and work through us. And, you know, you won't get a lot of glory and a lot of claps and a lot of pats on the back on this earth. Don't worry about that. We don't need anyone on this earth to tell you well done. We only need one person to tell us well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Right? That's the Lord of lords, the King of kings. That's the only person you need to please. So... Don't compare yourself, but imagine you applied yourself in the spirit. Imagine you applied yourself in the kingdom like some people do in this earthly realm. Imagine what God can and wants to do through us. I don't want to bring any condemnation to us whatsoever. I want to ask us three questions so that there's zero condemnation and we'll just start with this, is that what have you done for God so far? So you, if, if you feel like you've done nothing for God, I might leave you condemned. And I'm not going to because then I'm going to ask you the second question is, what are you doing for God right now? Some people have, and then they're not doing anything now. Some people didn't, and now they're doing something now. But then the third question is to free everybody from condemnation in this room is, what are you going to do with what God has put, you, put inside you today? So whether you did or you are, you still have tomorrow. We still are breathing. We still have time. And the Lord is, a, he is the best at redeeming the time. Do you ever just read in his word how it seems like so much lost and so much waste, right? And sometimes we can feel like that in our lives as believers. But then when the person applies themselves and they say, Lord, I'm sorry, Forgive me, and I want to be a disciple. I, I want to be the man or woman you called me to be, and I want to be a vessel in your hands. You see, the Lord will actually use them mightily and quickly. Even Samson, it's such a confusing, it's a hard story to figure out in your natural mind because we're going to judge it, human beings. But do you know his very last act? He just does one act. He is glorified. He is righteous in God's eyes. All of the mistakes and all the flesh and all the waste gets washed away from one act for the Lord. By saying, Lord, 
It's going to take my life. I realize that this will cost my life, but use my life, use me, and let's end this thing right now, right? Who knows the story? And so the Lord is a redeemer of the time. Don't feel condemned today, but I have a really serious question to ask us, and it is that what are we doing with what the Lord's given us? And what are we going to do with what the Lord's given us? The Lord has given us so, so, so much. And I ended with Ephesians 6. He said in Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength, not in your own power. You cannot do it. Right? We looked at this last week. There is no way. You cannot do it in your own strength. Whatever the Lord has put in your heart, whatever he has asked you to do, you don't have the strength and ability. In fact, sometimes I almost get, I, I never point my finger at God. I don't give God an attitude. We're human beings, right? But he's also our father. He's our friend. So sometimes we vent. If I feel like my venting was pointing my finger in any way, then I want to repent quickly. He's God. I mean, he is the Lord. I revere him as God and as Lord. But sometimes privately and personally before the Lord, I get upset that the world is able to be so prideful about their achievements and they get away with it. I feel like sometimes if I step into just a little bit of my own strength where I feel like I'm doing it, the Lord cuts me down immediately. He gives me zero, he has zero tolerance for me thinking that I had anything to do with what he's doing. Meanwhile, the world, like just, they, you know, they parade around with their achievements and all these things. And we need to know this, okay? You need to know this, that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, and this will actually free you because then there's no comparison chart. God does not have a chart in heaven that says, well, let's look and see what you did and what you did. All that he's looking at is, did you do what I asked you to do and no one else? Were you the person that I called you to be? We don't need to look around. We don't need to worry about what anybody else is doing. There is no comparison chart except that we must all have this in common, that it's not you, but it's the Lord, and it's fully the Lord. And yet there's this koinonia. I love that Greek word when I just discovered it only this couple of years ago. That, that's that joining together of God and humanity, of God in heaven and us on the earth to conquer Satan, to proclaim his glory, and to bring about his kingdom both on the earth and into eternity. And I don't know why he does that. I'm confused that he uses human beings, but he does. He speaks through us. He has us pray, right? He has us lay on hands. He has us um, stand alongside each other, to laugh with each other, to cry with each other. He does his ministry through us. And that's an amazing thing. It's incredible, but it's him, right? Do we have this? Got the, we got this, right? It's him. It's in his power. And verse 11 says, it tells us, so put on. Everybody say, put on. So firstly, it's only God. It's in his strength. It's in his power. You can't do it. But then he calls us to put on. So it's God, right? Remember, this is what we were talking about last week. And I just feel like we need to go into this deeper. It's God. Everybody say, it's God. But then he tells us to put it on. Say, it's God. But he told us to put it on. You don't have to put on God's armor. Then the devil's going to win. We don't want him to win. That was last week's sermon. I don't want to keep going back into that, but I just want to establish something here. He tells us, put it on. Put on all of God's armor. God's given us everything we need so that we can stand firm. We want to stand firm right to the end, don't we? We want to be standing when Jesus comes triumphant, victorious, not in pride, <laughs> zero pride, zero you. You're only standing by the strength of the Lord. 
You're only standing because you're dead now. And the only person that can stand before God is who? You can't stand before God. You can only stand before God because God's inside you. It's, it's literally no you left. There's no pride. There's no flesh. There's none of your strength left. If you let the Holy Spirit keep working on you, who's been in that process? Who's had the Holy Spirit, right? Who has changed? I'm not, I don't like to say better person or a good person because that is, don't even try to define that in your human mind. But who has seen more obvious flesh and junk come off you, right? Last year and this year. If you've gone backwards, today's a day for repentance. But if you've been walking with the Lord, you're going to look at your life last year and say, oh my gosh, God, how could you even love me there? How did you accept me there? Well, if you can say that about last year, what do you think you're going to say next year about this year? So it is a constant process, right? All right, but there is a death that's happening of you. There's a death that's happening of you and the Holy Spirit who is inside you instantaneously, the blood of Jesus Christ, the, the work of Christ is instant. You are instantaneously righteous in God's eyes through the blood of Christ, but the walking out on this earth, right, of the, of the flesh part, the human being is still walking it out. Do we get this? We're still walking it out, and, we, and it's not you, it's him prompting you, hey, I want you to give me that part of your life today. And he didn't ask for that part of you last year, but this year he says, now I want that. Right, Pride in the beginning can be really obvious, and then he starts digging really deep, and it could just be a look that you do. And the Lord says, I don't like that look anymore. And then you know, now the conviction comes, and you go, wow, that is pride. You never knew before, and the Lord let you get away with it. He loved you. Grace was there. But now he says, I want you to give that up. And so we are constantly progressing. We need to get into God. We need to get under. Come on, we need to get under him under his presence, under his armor, under him so that we are able to stand and keep standing and keep standing and keep standing. And, and, and our purpose on earth is not to survive. This is not a zombie apocalypse. As much as you may want one to happen, some of you freaks out there. <laughs> People are obsessed with it and they want it to happen so bad. It's, I don't know. I don't get that. Anyway, nothing fun about that, if that were real. Our purpose is not just to survive. This is what's happening internally, but the purpose is God's glory actually coming through your life, reaching this world. Many times as Christians, we could spend our whole lives, we say, okay, Okay, pastor, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to live for myself. Okay, Holy Spirit, I want to listen to you. I want, you, I want to let you deal with me and I want to work it out and I want to walk with you. That's not, you're still missing it if you stay there. That's not the purpose. You can get into works, get into self-righteousness very quickly there. The purpose is for the kingdom, for reaching this world. The process that while you are reaching this world, through, it's all through him, is that you are being refined. And we have that picture in the word so clearly of the disciples, right? We can see in their lives that initially when Jesus came and found them, that there was still flesh and the flesh started dying more and more and more and more until finally they stand with him, even until their own, every single one of them, history documents were martyred for the Lord. They gave up everything, gave their whole lives. I read a story in the Old Testament. I just felt like the Lord led me there, connecting us to this, is that there's a story where God's glory, I want you to turn to 1 Kings. I just want to transition a little bit here, but I'm, I'm going to take us somewhere, hopefully. 1 Kings chapter 19 we have been given such an opportunity and the Lord is going to come. We can read in the Gospels that Jesus says in so many different parables, I'm going to test 
what you've done here. I'm going to check what you've done. And he even tells us, right, that he came and he checked on the servants and the servants, instead of being servants, right, they're doing their own thing and they're beating the other servants, right, those below them, and they're living for themselves. And the Lord dealt with them. We don't want to be those people. We want to be people, again, that hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we need to know, though, that the Lord, it's not a question of, Lord, we, we say, Lord, show us your glory, or Lord, we want to come into your presence. Lord, welcome us into your presence. He's done all that. It's fine to sing those in songs and pray those in prayers to get your head to hear, to hear what your spirit already knows. It's like taking communion. It's a reminder of what Jesus already has done. So I'm not opposed to you saying, bring me into your presence. Lord, I want to be in your presence. But you need to know that through the blood of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, you are already there. You can pray so that your flesh gets it, so your mind gets it, but you are already there. The word is clear that we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father already in Christ. And so I want you just to get something here. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 13, there's a, a powerful prophet, one of the most famous prophets of our Bible. His name's Elijah. And he was going through a tough time and he went to go see God. You remember this story? He wanted to go find God. God, where are you? I need to hear your voice. I need to see you and hear you. And it says, in verse 13, that he finally hears the Lord. Actually, verse 12, let's read verse 12, because it says that he finally hears, and you can bring that up in the New King James. It says, the, uh, a still, small voice. He finally hears a still, small voice. And so in verse 13, it says, when he heard it, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So the Bible says that he went to go find God. I'm going through a tough time. I need to get into the presence of God. I need to hear God's voice. And it says when he heard it, everybody say when he heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak. And can we pull this, actually, this verse up in, yep, right here, in the New King James as well. It says, he wrapped his face in his mantle. Now, this word mantle is this word, Hebrew word, adoreth of some sort, however you say it. And it means cloak, as we read the NLT. It also means um, a prophet's garment. It's a cloak made of fur or fine material, but it also means glory, magnificence. There's a glory. And you actually hear this same exact story from Moses in Exodus 3, where it says that when Moses heard God speak, he covered his face and he was afraid to look at God. And something happens here. He literally is in the presence of God. And it's so powerful, it's so mighty, that he takes his prophet's garment, he takes a garment and he covers himself with it. Just like Moses does. And it says that when Moses came off the mountain, you remember the story? When he came off the mountain after having that presence of that time with God and God speaks, that when he came down off the mountain, that his face was shining so he covered it with a veil. He literally had a glow from being in the presence of God. And so what happens is, is he tells God, this is what's been going on. I'm frustrated. I think I'm done. And I've served you as well as I think as, as I could. And Lord, I, I don't know what else to do. And he says to him in verse 16, he says, I want you to go and anoint grandson of Nimshi to be king of Israel and anoint Elisha. Everybody say anoint. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from the town of Abel Meholah to replace you as my prophet. So verse 19 says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. 
And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak. Actually, can we bring this back up in the New King James? It says, then he threw his mantle on him. There's many, many uh, analogies in here and many sermons in here. I'm going to keep it simple today, and it's this. But Elijah was in the presence of God, and this cloak <laughs> is just a piece of cloth. Everybody say it's just a piece of cloth. But we know that even just cloth, it, it was... Remember the woman that was reaching for Jesus? And all she could get a hold of was his garment, remember? And she just grabbed the fringe of his garment and the power of, of God went through him, through the garment and into her, remember? Okay, and then we can go post-Christ, post the cross, and we've got Paul, and it says that people were getting healed just by cloth or handkerchiefs touching Paul and then touching people. So I don't want you to get obsessed with the clothes you're wearing today or, or get obsessed with that Part, I just want to make an analogy here that there was a glory, there was something that was passed into this cloak. There was a garment that glory passed into, right? And we have other examples to prove that this happened in our Bible. So when he came and he threw his coat, the very thing that, remember, he covered his face, but this cloak was not covered. Remember. He covered his face, but the cloak was fully on the glory of God. So the glory of God got on this thing. Now, the glory of God is so powerful, right? Remember the ark? Remember when they touched the ark? They weren't supposed to? What happened, right? Bye-bye. It's just an inanimate thing. And again, just like communion, right? When we take the cracker and the juice, it's not literally his blood and literally his body. It's a symbol. It's a picture. Right, but the power in it is something that's happening spiritually. So there was a spiritual transfer from God in heaven through Elijah to Elisha. Do we get that? There was a transfer of the glory of God, of the power of God, through Elijah to Elisha. It says that he threw this cloak, this mantle, the glory. The word literally means glory. He literally took the glory of God and offered it to Elisha. And the Bible says, come on, guys. Anybody getting anything out of this? I know uh, I'm being a little bit tedious. I'm trying to get us somewhere. Are we okay for a few more minutes? It says that he threw it on him and then walked away. In, in the New King James, it says that he passed by and threw his mantle on him. Now this is so significant because Jesus went to the cross and he has offered us salvation. He has offered us a purpose on this earth that many people just let pass them by, don't they? Many have actually heard. Many have actually had the glory of God, right? Which is the message, right? The message of Jesus Christ. This word carries the glory of God. It was anointed by God. God himself spoke through men, right? Uh, and, and penned it down. It carries the glory of God and many have let it come and it touches them for a moment and then just, and then passes them by. The Bible says that he threw it on him and passed him by. But Elisha, we don't know the, the context. We're not sure if they had already known each other or if this was like something that was normally done. But one way or the other, Elisha knows what's happening. Everybody say, Elisha knows what's happening. Just like we need to know what's happening, right? When our ears, when we've heard Christ and we respond and say, wait, 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 this is not just another passing moment. I'm not letting, who, who said this to the Lord in, in your own words? I'm not letting this moment pass. I had a knowledge of him in my head. And when he came and he started passing me by, I can tell you the very day, I can tell you the hour 
when he came and passed me by and I said, I'm not staying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to do what Elisha does right here. I'm not staying. He, he gets it. He says to him, it says, Elisha left the oxen standing there and he ran after Elijah. Who did that when Jesus came for you? He came and he offered something to you. And, and, and the thing is, it's such, a, it's such a weird thing to figure out in our human minds because we're human. We're not God. There are just about 8 billion people on this earth. Now, statistically, right, we looked, actually, I started going through these numbers some time ago, some months ago. It is such a small percentage that, ever, that will say yes to Jesus. And that should break our hearts. It shouldn't puff us up. That shouldn't make us like uh, in any way have any pride or think like, man, that we're special, but that, that just be so thankful and grateful to God that he, that he came to us and then we listened and, and here we are. And it should encourage us to want to reach the rest of this world But Jesus came to us just like Elijah came to him and he, and he ran just like we have run, right? We ran after him. And it says, he said, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because what does Jesus tell us? We just, if you've been doing our Bible reading with us, we just read this, right? It's in Luke, Luke 9, we just read it. Jesus says, those that are going to follow me, you need to follow me. I'm just paraphrasing, right? All the different, he gives us many, many analogies, but basically that you want to follow me. It says, whoever puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom, right? It's like, listen, following me is leaving it all behind. And this is an interesting moment because Jesus seems to almost be referencing this moment because of the language. And it says, he says, Elijah replies, go on back. Just like Jesus did. Count the cost. Think about this. Think about the seriousness. Think about what, what's actually happening here. Go back, but think about what I've done to you. Some people even translated this, what have I done to you? which is just as valid because he's basically saying, look, this is between you and the Lord. This is an offer from God. Either one is valid. Whether you read it, think about what I've done to you or what have I done to you, it, it's the same thing. He's basically saying, listen, think about this. This is a serious moment in your life. Many times this little parable... Well, it's not technically a parable. I'm going to call it a par it's an Old Testament parable. But this little, this story, this analogy has been preached of like, you know, you serve me and then you get the anointing, right? I serve someone else. I get their anointing and we keep transferring this anointing down. And there is definitely some validity to the fact that Jesus had disciples and we all need to be serving and we need to be servants. To be the greatest in heaven is the, to be the least on the earth, right? So there's definitely some validity in being a servant and serving others, but it's really serving above you, below you, next to you, serving everyone. Be a servant. There's definitely a servanthood, but I'm not preaching that here, that this is a man giving Elijah something, but it was the Lord had a call for Elisha. The Lord has a call for you, and he used Elijah. Come on. He just used Elijah as a, as a conduit, right? Conduit to get to him. And the Lord offered him something. He offered him the opportunity to be a messenger for him, just as Jesus has done to us. Yes, he has given us salvation. Yes, he has given us eternity. Yes, he has many treasures. And he even says, I go to prepare a place. There's a place for us. But he tells the disciples over and over, and then the disciples tell their disciples, like Paul talking to Timothy about being serious, about being a soldier, about counting the cost, just like he was preached 
just like he got it from Christ, he gives it to Timothy that, listen, you need to be serious about this life that you have here on this earth, that it's just a glimpse, like James says, it's just a vapor, and you need to use what God has given you, otherwise it's going to be gone before you know it. It says, so Elisha did, and this is what we should all do. This is what we have done if we've come to Christ. But I want us to be reminded of this today. I want you to be reminded, and if you haven't done this, this is what you have to do. It says, so Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh, and he passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now the Bible tells us after some time, Elijah's going to go to heaven. And that's it. No more Elijah on the earth. And now Elisha, serving under Elijah, is done. And Elisha, you're going to be the prophet on the earth. You're going to be a messenger for me. You're going to be the guy. So he says, you have to see me when I leave. So they're going about and they come to the Jordan River and the cloak, the mantle that Elijah wore, he strikes the Jordan, he crosses the Jordan, he goes up to heaven, the cloak falls of some sort or is laid on the ground, it's left for Elisha. Elisha takes it upon himself it says that he strikes the Jordan and he crosses back over. And then if, if you know his story, and I don't want to keep going on about Elisha for sake of time, but just to tell you quickly, and if you've read it, you've probably read it many times, that he goes and does the miracles that Elisha, Elijah did, and even greater and greater. Just like Jesus carried the God on the cross and paved a way and separated life and death for us and said, I'm the way, follow me. And he then put upon us something and said, you will do even greater than I have on the earth. And that's exactly what Elisha does. But it was not his. It wasn't just, it wasn't Elijah's cloak. It was the glory of the Lord. It was the Lord put something on him just as the Lord has transferred something to you. And this is what the word says. The Bible says about Jesus, and I thought this was amazing, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 15, he says, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. It's in another hard time, right? The ups and downs, the valleys and the mountaintops of Israel, right? Remember these times when you go through the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Right? And it says, truth is gone, and, and, and uh, anyone who renounces evil is attacked. And the Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. And he was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. It says, so he himself, everybody say, he himself stepped in to save them with a strong arm. And his justice sustained him. Verse 17. I couldn't believe this because I was, I was just trying to get this from the Lord. And I apologize if it's a little rough because sometimes when it's such a, sometimes there's things that I've known in the Lord and I have to go and preach them so they're a little bit easier to preach. And some things the Lord's still kind of unwinding in me. I'm still getting it while I'm preaching it to you. And, but this was amazing. I went and found this in my study and I, and I was surprised because it says that this is a picture. It's a picture of Jesus, right? Everybody gets this, right? This is another prophecy fulfilled of Jesus. It says that he clothed himself. He put on. That's this word, put on right here, is that same word. He took upon something, the glory of God. Something came on him. And it says that he put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed 
himself, everybody say he clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. I was so surprised when I read this in Isaiah because I thought even the Lord, even the Lord doesn't go into the earth without putting on the same exact clothing. Do you realize anybody recognizing the language here? Anybody recognizing this is right? This is Ephesians 6. The same thing that he tells us to put on to be able to stand, to resist the devil, to, to keep walking in the kingdom, to keep being the believer that you've been called to be, to carry, be carriers of the glory of God on the earth, to let your light so shine before men, right? That they, when they see your works, they're looking at your works, but they see God, they glorify God. In order to do that, we have to have on what he's given us. And, and it says that Jesus put on the very same armor. He's only asking us to do what he did. I, to me, when I read this, I felt like, wow, so many times we brush past, and I even mentioned that last week about Ephesians 6, we brush past it, or maybe you've heard it so many times. It just becomes like something, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that, the armor of God. I've got the t-shirt. But it says that when God began to deal with the injustice and began to deal with evil and really in a response because no one was intervening and when he stepped in, this is a picture of what it takes to truly intervene. God has called you to intervene on this earth. He's doing it and he's using you. And in order to do it, you have to be clothed in him. In fact, New Testament, and then I'll start wrapping this up. If we bring this into the New Testament, we have Jesus, right, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then began his ministry. And then it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. But this is interesting because I've always known it as filled, and there's nothing wrong with filled. But actually, this word is this word enduo, where we get the word endued from. And actually, the, uh, the New American Standard Bible, I think, translates it the best here because it says, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed, everybody say clothed, with power from on high. When we received the Holy Spirit, we were literally just like Elisha was, he was an ordinary man. Do you know that even Elijah was an ordinary man? What's it say in James? Right? It tells us in James to pray fervently. Why? Because it says Elijah was an ordinary man just like us. He was a human being, but when he prayed, things began to happen, right? It didn't rain and it rained. It also tells us in our word that when they had the encounter with Peter, right, after Christ, they said it's obvious that even though they're ordinary men, it's obvious that they're fishermen but at the same time, it's obvious that these guys have been with Christ. Why? Because something happened. They weren't just Peter anymore. you not just you who was born, but now you've been literally clothed by the Holy Spirit. When you were filled, when you were sanctified, when you were set apart, when you were placed in Christ yet your body is still on this earth. If you've truly given your life to Him, it says that you were clothed with the Holy Spirit, with power from on high. And I know that this quote is not a Bible quote, but I think it's so relevant. I don't even know who said it. I don't think anybody does, but with great power comes great responsibility. What's that? 
Well, yes, I know. We've heard it in Spider-Man. <laughs> I remember that part. It's not where it came from, but yes, it's definitely in the Spider-Man movies. You're talking to the movie quote guy. Like a videographic memory, I know. His grandfather says it to him right before he dies. Tell you exactly where that scene is. With great power comes great responsibility. I, I, I feel like I'm a, a little bit of a broken record, and I don't mean to, I'm not yelling at anyone. Please don't get that. I'm just yelling again because I'm excited. We have been clothed with power from on high. It was such a great price to pay for us, and the Holy Spirit himself clothed us. And I feel from the Lord that so much of our lives have been squandered that we don't realize the seriousness of what our lives are in Christ. That we've literally been clothed with power from on high. And, and if I can mix the translations together, because this really, I'm not anything heretical, this word clothed is very accurate, but that power, whose power is it? It's the Holy Spirit's power. We've been clothed with the Holy Spirit's power from on high. Just a few verses. I'm not going to preach from them, but I want to read them. Romans 13, verse 11 says, This is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. And you may know that as put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's literally something that we must put on. It was given to us, but then it, the words, come on, I'm not twist. Well, I'm literally reading, I'm literally wearing a shirt today that says, share the gospel, not your opinion. This is not my opinion, the word literally says, put on, which means it's putting it in your hands. How do you put on something that's already been put on? If you're already wearing clothes and I tell you to put on clothes, you'd be confused. You'd be Dawn's grandma during Alzheimer's, <laughs> where one day she walked out where she forgot she was getting dressed so many times, she came out like a snowman. If you're already dressed, then you're dressed. If he tells us to put on Christ, he's telling you you need to put it on. You can picture this as once in your life, as daily, as moment, as I would say second by second. I don't know if you're like me, but I need to think about it second by second. Otherwise, this world just starts distracting me instantly. As soon as you leave here, you will be distracted by this world. And I have to remember to put on Christ. It says, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts. Verse 14. Galatians 3, verse 26 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Ephesians 4, verse 21 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth. Come on, this, is, this 
verse, and I'm going to stop right here, is a picture of what happened with, from the transfer from the glory of God through Elijah to Elisha. Since you heard about Jesus, you've learned the truth that comes from him. Verse 22, this is on you. All right, you heard it. Now this is your part. Verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And in verse 23, instead, let the Spirit, come on, right? The Spirit, right? There's an old, and then the Spirit is coming upon us like Jesus promised. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And you might know it as put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We are literally called to wear the righteousness and the glory of God. And again, there is zero pride in that because pride is flesh. So you can't have it. It just told us to throw that off. There, it is such a humble, low thing in your human mind, in your human state. But you are, so, the devil is trying to get you so wrapped up in busyness and in distractions, and in sin, and whatever it is, so that you don't realize the price that was paid, and that the Holy Spirit himself, that's God, okay? We believe in this church that there are three parts of God that are equal. There's not a greater or lesser. So the Holy Spirit, that's God, comes on you, and walks in the earth with you. That is a tremendous responsibility, that we, all we need to do is just walk with him. We don't need to try to wield his power like you're in Star Wars or something. You just be willing and obedient and be humble and submitted and you do what he tells you to do and his glory will keep shining on its own. He doesn't need your help to shine his glory. He just needs you to step aside. Amen. We just thank you, Jesus, for your word. I thank you, Lord God for the mantle that you passed on to us. You offered it to us, and we're not going to let it pass us by. Lord, we ran after it once to get a hold of you, Lord. We said, yes, Lord, that's what I want it. I want what you have for me. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we would burn every part of the old. I pray, Lord, that whatever plows are still in our yard, Lord, whatever has not been dealt with, whatever needs to be burned and slaughtered, it would be done, Lord, so that then we would carry, we can put it on holy and clean and righteous and do, Lord, what you've asked us to do on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.